Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Coco Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. I'm Dr. Linda, Certified Relationship Specialist and Life Coach. Welcome to Relationship Remedy, the place to discuss hot topics related to the health of your relationships. So bring us your questions, your concerns, and your comments. But most of all, bring an open mind. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the author of Tame Your Tongue and Transform Your Relationship and the CEO of Turning Point Leadership Group where we not only help you identify the need for a significant change in your life, but we provide tools and support to help. Do you ever have difficulty keeping other people out of your relationship? Well, today's topic, we're talking about family boundaries, whose opinion counts. There are so many things in the world that compete for our love, and sometimes these forces are so strong that they get between us and our mates and they diminish our relationship. So here are a few examples of the kinds of intruders that I'm talking about. Things like work, children, outside hobbies and interests, sports, parents and in-laws, friends, church, financial involvement, television, the Internet, computer games, shopping, illness, addiction, and affairs. And, of course, the list could go on and on, and we won't have time today to delve into each of those things, but we will pick out a few and go a little bit deeper. So if you want to join the conversation, you can join us at 347-637-2319, and if there's something you'd like to share, if you have a story or an example, maybe a question, maybe you need some advice because one of these intruders is peeking into your life, Whatever the case might be, just hit us up and let's have a conversation about it. If not, rest assured, I've got plenty of information to share with you on the subject of family boundaries, whose opinion counts. So here are some things that I often hear. For instance, a wife may tell her best friend how unhappy she is with her husband's behavior, but out of misunderstood submission, she doesn't let him know what her feelings are. Another example would be the husband who might be more invested in his parents than in his wife. Or maybe there's a spouse that makes her child a confidant, telling the child everything that's going on in the marriage or relationship and becomes closer to the child than to her mate. Well, Scripture has a word for us with respect to that. Uh, Actually, there are lots of good words in Scripture regarding that. But one of my favorites comes from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28. And the part that I'm going to read is, and the gossip separates close friends. 
That applies in marriage and in romantic relationships as well. When we're telling information, carrying tales back and forth, or letting any of these other intruders get in the way, when you have a desire for something outside of the marriage more than you have a desire for the connection in the marriage, it becomes a problem. Family boundaries are being crossed, and we have to ask the question, whose opinion counts? Now, some of these intruders come because we invite them in. And many times we don't even realize it, but we seek the opinions of others. We want to know what friends think. We want to know what someone else would do in a similar situation. We want to know maybe how they got themselves out of a particular situation. But many times we open the door for other people to give us their opinion. And I'm not saying that you should not do that, but, again, I remind you, Scripture tells us about wise counsel. Not everyone that you ask is wise counsel. Not everyone who has confronted a situation has handled it well, and your situation is not going to be exactly like anyone else's situation. So what worked for them may not work for you, and that's why wise confessional, a seasoned uh, Christian, if that's your faith, someone who has wisdom that they can impart is who you ought to seek after. So some intruders come because we invite them in. And sometimes we invite them in because we have what's called an approval addiction. What is an approval addiction? Well, just like any other addiction, it's this habit. It's this, this thing that takes hold of you that you can't of your own free will and action break free from. And when it's an approval addiction, it means you're living in bondage to what other people think. Now, many of us are walking in this. We're people pleasers. We have an addiction to hearing good things from others, getting the opinions of others, particularly those that we revere and respect, and we may not even realize that we're doing it all the time. We may not realize that we are addicted to other people's opinions. So here are some common approval-seeking behaviors. Now, this is not a complete list, and it does not necessarily mean that if you check one or two of these off that you're an approval addict. But clearly, if you start to see a pattern, if you see at least a third of them apply to you, you might want to do a little self-examination. And if half or more apply to you, it could be an indicator that you either have an approval addiction or you're heading in that direction. So it would be great if you have paper and a pen handy. And those of you who know me know that I'm always giving out things that you can write down. So here are some ways to just check and see if you might be an approval addict. I'm going to give you 13. So first off, changing or softening your position because, excuse me, someone appears to disapprove. So this is the person where you state what you think or you believe, but when somebody doesn't agree with you or they disapprove, you kind of backpedal a little bit and say, well, no, that's not exactly what I meant, or no, I think you took it the wrong way. It's changing your view because you don't want to get the disapproval of someone else. Number two, or a second one, because there's no real order to these, a second one would be paying insincere compliments to gain approval. So we all know people where every time they greet someone, it's, oh, girl, you look great today. Oh, I love your hair. Mm, your shoes are hot. Whether they believe it or not, they come in giving compliments because they want to be liked by the person that they're greeting. And so if they come in and they have something to say to everybody, it could be an indication that they're seeking for the approval. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you 
like something about someone, you shouldn't tell them. I'm not saying that. And I'm not suggesting that you don't come in and have something nice to say to people. In all of this, what you have to do is check your motives. Why am I giving these compliments, and are the compliments sincere? Because if they're not, you might be an approval addict. A third one would be feeling upset, worried, or insulted when someone disagrees with you. So when people don't agree with you, how does it make you feel? If you're okay with that, if you're fine with, hey, let's agree to disagree, that's a good thing. Four, expressing agreement, whether it's verbally or nonverbally, when you do not agree. So it's kind of going along to get along, you know, making sure that you say the right thing because you want someone to like you, not because that's what you genuinely believe. Five, doing something which you do not want to do because you are afraid to say no. We've all met that person who is so overworked, stressed out, pulling their hair out. She doesn't have enough time in the day. She's usually a woman. And, and it just feels like I am so overwhelmed. Well, that's because you've not learned to set personal boundaries for yourself. You don't know how to say no when people ask you things. And the reason you don't say no is because you're afraid that they may not like you and you're seeking approval. Now, where this can go to the extreme romantically is when you have people who tend to be somewhat promiscuous. When you have that chick that people say, that one right there is a thought. When you know that that's somebody that's sleeping around, not saying no to men because she's seeking their approval. So it can go to the extreme in all kinds of areas. A sixth one would be failing to complain when you have received poor service or a product not fit for purchase. So you go to the restaurant, you order something to eat, it's brought to you, and it is not satisfactory, but you don't want to create waves, you don't want to upset the waiter or the waitress, and so you just decide, no, that's okay, I'll eat it anyway. Now, I'm not saying something that's a little off, or I'm not saying every now and then, or maybe you're in a hurry and you know if I send it back and have to wait, it's going to make us late. Those are exceptions, but if you just fail to not complain probably isn't the right word. When you fail to notify someone of poor service or poor product, it could be a sign that you're an approval addict. Spreading bad news and gossip just to gain attention. When you're the one who always has the 411 on everybody in the neighborhood, everybody in the club, everybody in the church, could be a sign that you're an approval addict. Asking permission when it's not required pretty self-explanatory. Close to that is consistently apologizing for your words and deeds, whether others have expressed disapproval or not. So this would look like the person that starts off sentences by, I'm sorry, but I just need to interrupt, or please forgive me, but, or I don't mean any harm, those kinds of phrases. I'm sorry, please forgive me, I don't mean any harm. If you have a pattern of beginning sentences like that before you give your opinion, that's sort of a caveat where you don't want to be disapproved of, so you're putting that disclaimer out there. Number 10, pretending to be knowledgeable or an authority on a subject because you are afraid to admit that there's something you do not know. It's okay to say, I don't know. It's okay to say, I'll check and get back to you. But don't pretend. Usually when you do that, you're trying to uh, keep the mask up and get approval. 11, attempting to coach people into paying you compliments and or getting upset when they fail to do so. Sometimes we fish for compliments. You know, sometimes we just kind of, what do you think about this dress? And what you're hoping that the person will say is not their honest opinion, but that the dress looks really good on you. 
Number 12, behaving in a non-conforming manner in order to draw attention to yourself. In other words, just being off the chain, doing stuff that you know you have no business doing, not conforming because you're trying to get attention. And, again, when we look to pop culture today, a lot of that stuff is going on in our young people. Folks are out there trying to get attention because they want approval. And many times they're not getting it at home or in their relationships, so they act in ways that are nonconforming, the way they dress, the way they speak. Sometimes you see it when it looks like people go to the extreme uh, culture of another ethnic group just to get attention and to be nonconforming because they want approval, often by the people within the ethnic group that they're emulating. And then number 13, any behavior which is contrary to your identity and purpose or conflicts with your core beliefs is generally done to gain the approval of someone else. That one I think just kind of wraps. Those are some things that might cause you to reach out and try to pull in other people's opinion. And again, I have to ask, whose opinion counts? So if there's any commentary you'd like to give, by all means, give us a call, 347-637-2319. Now, what it happens many times when we're approval addicts, it can lead to us actually asking people what they think and then doing what they say. So I told you we would dig into that list I gave you of some of the intruders. Let's take a look at four or five of these. One of them might be work. Now, we know we spend most of our waking hours as adults on a job somewhere. We often get opinions from coworkers, from our boss, from our peers, just a different array of people on the job. Whose opinion counts? If someone is giving you commentary about your work performance, that's fine. But if someone's giving you commentary about your personal life, about your relationship, you have to kind of draw the line. Don't tell people all your business. There's no reason to go to work and confide in coworkers about what's going on in your home life. When you start telling, particularly telling friends of the opposite sex, if you're heterosexual, or someone same sex who might be part of the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender community, if you are as well, anybody that you might develop a romantic connection to, when you start talking to them, about problems and challenges in your own personal relationship, it opens the door for you to feel safe and comfortable with that person because they're listening, usually non-judgmentally, and it gives them an opportunity to respond in a way that's very caring because they don't have to deal with whatever noise and baggage you might be bringing to your personal relationship. They're just giving you advice when you have presented yourself as being the victim. That is so often how those workplace affairs begin because we start talking about things that are personal and and go on in our personal relationships. Now, you may remember on a previous show, we talked about workplace relationships, how far should they go. That's one of the places where it crosses the line. So if you find that you're getting advice, from people at work about your relationship, go back and listen to the tape of workplace relationships, how far should they go. I believe that was the show we did in May of 2016. Another example, children. Many times as adults are dating and one or both of them have children from previous relationships, 
or maybe they remarried and they had children from previous relationships. We find that the children who may be young or may be adults often have opinions about that person that you're dating or that you've married. How much attention should you pay to what that child says? Well, of course, some of it depends on the age of the child. When you have young children, quite often their their whole end game is, I want my parents to get back together, so no matter who comes up in here, I'm not going to like that individual anyway. And so that sometimes is a factor, and you have to be able to discern if that's what's going on or if something else is going on. But when your kids tell you that they don't like the person you're dating, how much attention do you pay to that? And how important is that opinion? Again, everybody needs to decide for themselves, but depending on the circumstances, the rationale that the children give you, and the age of the children, that's an opinion that might count. Oftentimes what we do in family is we put so much attention around the child that it becomes sort of a child-centered family. And when that happens, we're creating anxious, exhausted parents and demanding, entitled kids who act out. So if you're finding that your child's opinion weighs in heavily and everything rests on what he or she wants to do, what they like to eat, where they want to go, you know, how they like the room set up, if everything centers around that child, you're creating a child-centered family. And it is going to present problems in the relationship. Your child cannot be more important than your spouse because, again, there's an order to things. And scripturally, when a man and woman marry, the two become one flesh. So you can't pull yourself apart. You can't divide yourself by creating division between you and your spouse because the child isn't going along with the program. It happens not only when the biological parents are both in the house raising the child, but it happens even more frequently when you have a step-parent in the house. It's, it's almost like there's this choice sometimes that has to be made between the child and the step-parent, and it puts the biological in the middle, and that should not be. So everybody's got to learn how to operate on one accord. But the children are often one of the big intruders and causes crisis in the family because we don't set up the proper boundaries to what's the parent's place and what's the child's place. And in a blended family situation like that, and we will be doing a show uh, in the next couple of months on blended families, but when you have a blended family situation, then you also could have the biological parent that's not in the household. And how much of their opinion do you take into consideration? And if that biological parent is now remarried and the child spends time in both households, how much of the other parent's spouse's opinion do you allow in? So you see the layers can be quite complicated with children, which is why we're going to do a show on blended families. So let's go to the next one. This is a biggie. I like this one. <laughs> this is the parents and the in-laws the parents and the in-laws. Many times we run back to our parents for advice or information. We go back and share with them things that are going on in the house, and normally when we do that, it's focused around something negative because we just need to vent or we need an opinion. And so often parents and in-laws can get an unbalanced view of the spouse. 
sometimes parents and in-laws just can't let go, and that creates a problem. It's important to keep the parents and the in-laws out of the marriage. Now, I'm not saying that you can't ask mama and them for advice and suggestions and those kinds of things, but be very careful what you share because long after you and your spouse have made up, the parents and the in-laws are still remembering all the negative things that you've shared. So here's some reasons why it's so important to keep that whole parent-in-law thing in check. One is that it shows honor and respect for your spouse. When your husband or wife knows that he or she comes before your parents, it creates a deeper marital bond. If a wife continually runs to her parents for counsel instead of first talking with her husband, it can create a feeling of distrust. He doesn't know whether or not he can trust you, what are you saying, how come your sisters are looking at me cross-eyed, those kinds of things start going on. And the same is true with the husband. When you talk together as a couple about your problems and seek answers in a unified way, it strengthens your marriage. So you can consult parents that it's best done with both of you present, not going behind each other's back and asking questions. Another reason why this is so important is it shows your spouse and your parents that your marriage is solid. If one or the other keeps running home to mama and daddy complaining about his or her spouse, it can be damaging to the marriage. So you don't want to do anything that might damage the marriage. You want to have a solid, unified front, and you want your parents and your in-laws to know that no matter what, we're solid. Another reason, third reason why it is so important is because it creates a stronger intimacy with your spouse. When your focus is on your mate, then each other's needs can be met. But if you're only focused on yourself and so you're running back complaining about what's going on, what's wrong, et cetera, it creates this, this schism between the two of you and your focus is no longer on your mate. Your focus is now on you. So your mate's focusing on you and you're focusing on you and nobody's focusing on the mate. Another reason why it's so important, when things get tough, you can count on each other. When you've kept each other at the top of the list, there will be no question about loyalty to and from your spouse. People want to feel like they are the only one, and they need to be the only one. So you've got to be loyal. They've got to know that you're the ride or die. No matter what happens, it's tough, but we're going to ride this out together. And then the last one that I'll give you is that when your parents reach the end of their lives, having your spouse by your side will be very comforting. You want that spouse to be there so that you can uh, keep the relationship strong while your heart is going through this unbearable thing. And when the parents are gone, your spouse is really all that you'll have left. So make sure that you've got a good, intact working relationship. Now, oftentimes I know that sometimes there can be abuse in a situation, and sometimes we deny that abuse. I'm not saying that when there's an abusive relationship that you've got to stick it out, ride or die, those kinds of things. That's a time when you have to seek wise counsel. And mama and daddy are not the best ones to go to. If there's abuse and you feel like your life is in danger, by all means, you need to contact the authority. But you need to go to counseling to learn how do I keep from getting sucked up in it and allowing myself to be victimized. So um, I'm responding to the abuse thing because I got a text message. What if there is abuse that is denied? Then what? And that would be how I'd respond to that one. You, you want to bring abuse to the table, to the forefront, but you also have to know that if you take stuff to your parents, they're going to respond more than likely. So you have to think about how am I burdening them? Now they're going to be worried about me. 
How much information do they need to know? If you and your spouse split, do they need to know it was over abuse, over infidelity, over finances, over the children? You have to decide how much information to give them. But just remember, once you can't take it back. So I thank you for that, that question. You do want to keep parents and, and in-laws close, though, so schedule time to catch up with them. You know, be careful not to overshare information. Make sure that there are boundaries established and that they know the boundaries and also that your spouse knows the boundaries. I've encountered situations where the spouse goes running, like, like let's say the husband talks to the wife's mom. You know, he goes to his mother-in-law because she's so comforting and she's on his side. That's no better than going to your own parents. You have to be mindful of that. And be mindful of your partner's relationship with them, which ties into that as well. You don't want to do anything that might jeopardize. If your, your husband has a great relationship with your mom, don't do anything that might jeopardize that relationship by constantly bad-mouthing him because that's not fair to either of them. So let's see, a few more things before we run out of time. All of these topics that we bring to you are always so deep. We could go on and on and on. And, of course, we just want to give you the tip of the iceberg. You can always reach out to me one-on-one. I can be found, Dr. Linda Wiley, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. My website is drlindawiley.com, or you can call me toll-free at 855-771-4849. 855-771-4849. I'll give you all that information again at the end of the show. Here's another one that I really like, and that's television. Television can be an intruder because sometimes we, we fight over the remote. Sometimes it interrupts people's sleep schedules. You know, if there's a TV in the bedroom, one of you wants to sleep while the other's trying to stay up and watch TV. Television sometimes gets in the way of conversation. Unless you're watching something that's, say, news or newsworthy and it gives you a, an avenue to discuss, Many times at the end of a hard day, we want to go into something mindless. We don't want to have to think. And we watch the comedies and the sitcoms and those kinds of things. That's all good, but it often keeps us from talking. The other thing it does is um, it can destroy marriages because we get this false sense of what a marriage should be like. So there was a recent study done at Albion University that said watching television can be a significant cause of marital strife right up there with no longer caring what you look like and deciding to be the person you actually are in front of your spouse. It's not just because watching TV comes to be the easiest alternative to speaking with someone you once cared for but have slowly grown to despise. It's because seeing happy, devoted couples on television makes us wish that we were happy and devoted to someone instead of just being married to them. That's an interesting finding. Basically, the way I like to look at that is you might see those couples on television who everything is date night, hunky-dory, let's take trips, let's do family vacations, and you may not have the means to do that. So then you become resentful. Or the flip could happen. You might see couples who they have arguments and they do these outlandish things to one another to get back at them, and then you think that that's okay to do in your marriage as well. We often allow television to educate us in ways that it should not. When we're watching things that are meant to be entertaining only, we can't put too much stock in what we see. So the study from Albion University also goes on to suggest that the more stock people put in the as-seen-on-TV portrayals of relationships in their favorite shows, the less likely they are to their own relationships. And that's because of some of the things that I just said. You see how other people react, and you think that it's normal 
when it may not be normal or just may not be possible in your particular situation. So television is one of those intruders. And, again, we go back to the question, whose opinion counts? Is it more important to do the way the writers of that show said it should be done, or is it more important to do it the way you and your spouse feel it should be done? But if you're not having dialogue with the spouse about some of these difficult things, then you really don't know what your spouse is thinking. Same thing happens whether it's the children, the coworkers, the boss, the in-laws. These are all potential intruders that get in the way of how we handle our relationships because we put so much stock into the opinions of others and not enough into sitting down, talking with one another, and really coming to grips with how should things work in this particular relationship. Everybody has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. And no two situations are exactly alike. So when you find that you're at a crossroads and you really don't know which way to turn, you can always do some self-reflection. Always start with self because that is the only person you have influence over and can control. So step back and think about how am I behaving? Am I acting the way I normally act? Am I stressed right now, which is causing my behavior to be erratic? What are some of the things that I'm doing or things that I used to do that I'm not doing that might be leading to the strife in the relationship? You also want to go uh, to something spiritual, if that's the focus of your life, the way as you know it is for mine. What would God say about this particular situation? If you're not sure, do a little research. There are so many tools and resources in front of us. You can go old school and look up the concordance in the back of your Bible, or you can go new school and Google some of those things to find out what are some of the the experts say. Of course, you can always go to your pastor. Uh, You can always go to the temple, the synagogue, the church. There are usually people there who are skilled at advising you in certain areas. So there are other avenues that you can take. And you always want to talk to the spouse. When this happens, this is how I feel. Lately, we haven't been engaging the way we used to. This is how it's making me feel. Or you seem to be a little bit different. Is there something I can do to help? Have I done something that's causing that? But that's where you want to go. You don't necessarily want to go to getting the opinions of others unless it's wise counsel. And, of course, you can always consult with a psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist, uh, life coach, people who are skilled and trained at how to handle such situations. But when we seek the opinions of others, we're allowing people inside of our relationship, we're we're allowing people to break through those boundaries. And then when they say or do something that we find offensive, we want to lash back out at them. But chances are you invited them in. So you have to establish boundaries. How much information will we share? Who will we share it with? And what advice will we take to heart? And sometimes when people bring things to you, they may be well-intentioned, but you may have to say, you know what, stop right there. I know that you're trying to help and I appreciate that, but I think this is something that I really need to wrestle with on my own or discuss with my spouse. And just you put up that boundary to keep them from coming in. You know, we must guard our marriages so that the outside world cannot separate us. We must protect its core, the love between husband and wife. This doesn't come for free. It will cost us a lot. It might cost you some friendships. It might cost some some hurt feelings among family members. 
but our marriage is only as strong as what we invest into it. Make sure that the investment you're making in your marriage is bigger than the investment of others. So family boundaries, whose opinion counts? There are two people in the marriage, and those are the two opinions that you need to pay attention to. Time goes so fast when we do this. We're at the end of the show, and I just want to thank you, as always, for spending time with me today. It is my desire to strengthen families by prescribing remedies for your relationship health. I can be reached on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. My website is drlindawiley.com, or you can call me toll-free at 855-771-4849. I'm Dr. Linda Wiley, and I'm out. Welcome to the Coco Express Network. Talk radio that informs. Talk radio that inspires. Talk radio that enlightens. Talk radio for us all. 